to start with page 291, Higher Ground. So we're going to stand and sing 291, Higher Ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand, my faith on heaven's stable land, a higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay, though some may dwell where those abound. My prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. My faith on heaven's stable land, a higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Verse 4, I want to scale the utmost high and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till heaven I've found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. My faith on heaven's stable land. A higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Mr. Simon, will you open us a word of prayer? We're going to page, uh, turn to page 26. This will be on the screens as well, but page 26, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I know by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus on me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
real quick. We have the funeral uh, this Wednesday, 1030 for Bonnie Temple. Um, be in prayer for her family, especially her daughters, uh, Debbie and Linda. Uh, if you have food to bring to that, pastor will be here early that morning so you guys can drop that off whenever. Uh, Widow and Widower's Fellowship, we will meet tomorrow at 1. We'll just meet here at the church. I think someone might be bringing some zucchini cupcakes is what I was told. So that should be good. And then teens, we are leaving at 7 a.m. on Tuesdays for those of you going on the fishing trip. So be here before 7 so you can get loaded up and get on the way. Other than that, I think that's about it. Be in prayer for the BCRM coming up at the end of August, I believe. Oh, and we didn't sing happy birthday to someone because he wasn't here, but we're going to sing to him tonight. Turner, how old are you turning this week? Seven years old. So we need to sing happy birthday to Mr. Lambertson. Happy birthday, Turner. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, buddy. Okay, we have ushers here tonight. Clayton Lee. Come right here, Lou. Right to the back. Good job, buddy. Clayton, you want to pray for us? that if we do a building fund offering, we're using Louie and Ethan as the ushers for it. So they will continue to give to that building fund. Last song of the evening, we're going to go to 624. It might not be a cheerful giver, but it will be an unwilling giver. 624, count your blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings.
Every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as your days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. When you Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven nor your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. See what God has done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Hope and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see we do um, testimonies tonight, um, Cole and Austin Curtis, both of them have trusted Christ as their Savior. They followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and they would like to join the church tonight. And I am so appreciative of these two young men and what they have already uh, just inserted themselves into the ministry, and, and uh, it's been a real blessing, guys. And so if you two would stand just so everybody can see you. that motion all right can we make the motion dennis seconds that all in favor say aye any opposed say me no well god bless you guys we we do truly appreciate you guys yes cole will be a senior this year is that correct that's at rush high school and then mr austin works for james and and uh, just appreciate you guys That's a testimony in itself, isn't it? All right. You ladies have the, I don't even see Miss Darlene. Come on, Emmy. Come and grab a mic. Yeah, come on. Whatever you say, girl. Oh, there we are. Thank you. 
these girls God. And God has got a lot of testimony to tell you.
thankful that God set up this church and the way he has set up and how he builds it. Because my mom, uh, we just went to Kentucky to see my mom. She's 87. She has surgery. And her church family there where she lives, I spoke about this church there, and they have just been so wonderful in caring for her needs and watching after her and giving her cards and visits and just everything. And I think of our church family here, how it's the same, you know, how we do minister to one another and we make food for people and just all of that. That's just how a church body works, you know, and how God loves us through others. God cares for us through others. And I'm just very thankful for that. And I'm thankful that she can be there in Kentucky. I can be here. And I know she's being taken care of because she has a church family that, that takes care of her every need. If there's something she can't do, if she needs to get to an appointment, whatever. I know she's in good hands and will be taken care of. And I'm just very thankful for that. And um, that is just a huge thank you, Lord that you give us church, you give us church members. We are the church. And um, in time of need, you realize how important that is. Amen. Yes. Amen. Let's stand and help. Oh, Chris, go ahead. I just want to say, so this week, tore down my childhood church it was devastating to me um so auntie posted those pictures today about the church that has been built for a long time um it was just it kind of hit close to home for me um it was a church where i was my dad's grandpa's i was a teenager at and he invited me to meet church and they tore it down to build real devastating to me that what you preach today has actually happened and how this church has had an impact mentioned, he said, hey, let's go over to the, the church here in town. There's a Baptist church, Emmanuel Baptist, that has a, a big building that we're kind of looking at the same design of. And so we went over there and walked in, and the church secretary was, was standing right there with another lady in the church, and we just said, hey, we're from Platte Valley Baptist down in Fort Morgan, and we've had a few people already come up and look at the building. We'd like, would it be okay if we walk around? And she said, I'll give you a tour. So she took us through the building and kind of showing everything, and not to, I guess, the whole time she was saying, she's like, we don't use all this room all the time. We don't use all these classrooms. And Todd and myself were looking through this, and we're like, man, we need more room in this area. We need this room to be a lot different to accommodate our kids. The auditorium we go into, and she said, yeah, we don't 
we don't show it up, and the hymn taken song to show it up um, for too long. And it's just neat to see that through that church, and it's a gorgeous church, and the design is awesome, but just to see that we've got so many different needs that are are going to be met by that building, and Lord willing, get that up in the next few years, and see God just continue to bless and grow and be the lighthouse we need to in our community and in our society. Amen. The secretary is going to start shaking her head. Then we have more of you in the back office. <laughs> Anyone else from that? Today I was talking to one couple that sits back here, and <laughs> I don't know where Tyler first even was headed, but I said, I came up, I had a house coming, he said, George is going to get a lawnmower, and he's going to have to ride down, and I said, oh, um, can you call this couple? Well, I know she's going to sit out till she, and I still talk to her, but they picked up a lawnmower, and I thought that was so amazing that we help each other, and they're a young couple getting started, and I thought, thank you, Lord, I, I'm so grateful. Amen. That's good. Yes. All right. Yeah. You come. All right. Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight tonight. Chapter eight. If you remember last time, we looked at chapter six, chapter six and seven, and we looked at Stephen and uh, Stephen being accused uh, there in front of the Sanhedrin and the Jew Jewish rulers and answering for himself. And there at the end, he uh, they became so enraged, they were so angered by Stephen and his spirit and uh, what God led him to say that the Bible says they rushed upon him, they drug him outside the city and they stoned him. Well, here in chapter number eight, um, we're going to see a little bit about Saul. Now, you and I, we know that Saul is going to become who? Paul. We know that. We have the completed scripture, and we know the whole story. But in this moment, they do not. They don't have a clue. In that moment... Saul is Saul. Paul does not exist yet. And these believers are living, they're functioning, they're, they're existing, they're trying to get by in this environment, in this, in this uh, culture, and, uh, and it's not a safe place to live. And in chapter 8, there's kind of five different things that happen in, in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. You see a little bit about Saul. You see Stephen's buried. You see that the believers are scattered. But then we also were introduced to a man by the name of Philip. And we're also introduced to Simon the sorcerer. And so you have those five different stories that happen here in the book. And I just want to look at three of them real quick in verses 1 through 4. And so the first thing I want you to, to notice is the burial of Stephen. Look at verse 2. It says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial 
and made great lamentation over them. Now, this is all the information we're given. We don't really know a whole lot. I don't know who these devout men are. I don't know. I don't know necessarily what they are devout to. I don't know if this is a reference to their devotion to God or if this is their devotion to Stephen, to the church, fellow believers. I don't we don't know. It just says that they were devout men. Maybe they were unsaved Jewish friends who were devoted, you know, that were uh, committed to their friend Stephen and they saw what happened. But anyway, these men carry Stephen to his burial. The first thing here is there's an act of companionship. There's an act of companionship. I personally believe that these men endangered their lives by going and picking up Stephen. Stephen is taken outside the city. He's stoned, and as far as we know, he was left for dead. He was left, his corpse is there to rot, to be eaten by animals, or whatever's going to happen to Stephen is going to happen, and the Jewish people, they could care less. But here come these devout men, and they pick up his body. I can't imagine that was a safe act. To step out and to walk outside the city and pick up Stephen could not have been safe. But they did, and they carried him to his burial. But not only an act of companionship, but also I see an act of concern or compassion. Notice what it says at the end of the verse, and made great lamentation over him. This broke their hearts. This word great is where we get the word mega. Mega, it's large. There is absolutely nothing small. There's nothing little. There's nothing insignificant. The word mega in the Bible is a big word. And when you see that word, it means it was a big deal. This was not them hiding in their closet, whimpering over Stephen. This is wailing. The word lamentation means to beat your chest or to beat your head because of the mourning that you're going through. Has your heart ever been that broken? Have you ever had, has your heart ever been broken to, to where it's like your body is just tense? And it's like every muscle in your body is flexed and it's tightened. That's what these guys were doing. They were weeping. They were wailing over Stephen's death. So here you see the burial of Stephen. But not only do you see the burial of Stephen, but you see, secondly, the believers are scattered. Notice verse number one. And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen, and at that time, there was a great persecution against the churches at Jer- which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. This word scattered here is where we get our word diaspora. If you were to look just throughout history, you're going to find that there are a number of diasporas, if you will, a number of scatterings. Um, I mean, just historically speaking, but here, that's where we get that word from this word scattered. It literally means to be to be sown like seed or to be scattered abroad. That's what it means. Literally, these Christians were taken like a handful of seed, thrown into the wind, and scattered. 
And that's what God does with the church here at Jerusalem. He scatters them. The persecution is so intense. It is so violent. It's so unbearable that these people can't live in it. So you know what they did? They left. They went somewhere else. Why? Well, because of the persecution. Look at verse 1 again. There was a great, that's that word mega again. This is large. This is not some little piddly little thing that was happening to them. No, no, no. These were major crimes against humanity. These were big things that were being done to believers. The persecution. What does the word persecution mean? It means the infliction of pain, punishment, or death upon others unjustly, particularly for adhering to a religious creed or mode of worship, either by way of penalty or for compelling them to renounce their principles. In other words, these Christians were being put in a position where it was either deny Christ or be killed, be put in prison. And it was unjust. There was no justice. There was no, there was, they had no rights or no law to depend upon. It was completely unjust what was happening to them. They were taken advantage of. They were abused. So guess what? They became refugees. They left. They left. So here you have this this persecution. Tertullian, who was a historian, um, a Christian man in northern Africa, way back in 100 whatever A.D. it was, he said this. Tertullian said, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. Your injustice is the proof that we are innocent. The oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow, the blood of Christians is seized. And the reality is this, the, the, the church has always flourished under persecution. Always. Historically speaking, the church has always grown and done better when it was persecuted. Always. How? How were they persecuted? Um, well, it was Saul. Saul was at the forefront of this. Saul was the leader of this. He was the one persecuting them. Uh, take your Bibles. Go over to uh, Acts chapter 9. Just look at Acts chapter 9 real quick, verses 1 and 2. It says, and Saul. Notice this phrase. Yet breathing out. Literally, this was his life. It was his manner of life. It's what he breathed. It's what he ate. It's what he drank. This was his life. This consumed him. This consumed him. The very air that Paul breathed was the threatening and the slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues. Notice this, that if he found any of this way, any Christ followers, any Christians, any believers in Christ, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. That's what's happening to these believers. So what did they do? They left. They scattered. God sent them all over. If you look back in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of, Ju- of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but now these Christian believers had gone up into Judea, and they've even gone as far as Samaria. And we know where Samaria, remember the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? These were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentiles. They did not get along. But now these Christians have gone into Samaria, but they didn't stop there. Go over to chapter 11 and look at verse 19. Chapter 11 of the book of Acts and verse 19 it says, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice, Cyprus, Antioch, notice this again, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. They, they went everywhere. They went anywhere they could. And how did they respond? They preached the word as they went. Look at chapter 8, verse 4 again. Therefore, they were scattered abroad. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere. Notice this, preaching the word. What a response. What an attitude. What a mentality. These people aren't walking. I mean, uh, you know, we've seen pictures of, of people at, at the southern border of America. And we've seen the line of people from South America, Central America, or wherever they're from, trying to get in. And we've seen the, the masses of people. Imagine the Christians leaving Jerusalem. Remember back in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, at the beginning of the book, there were 5,000 saved. What was it? 3,000 saved. I mean, there are thousands of believers. And now they are uprooted, and they're trying to find a new home. And here, they, imagine just lines of them going down the dirt road, trying to make a new life and find a new place to live. Could you imagine if that was your life? Imagine if it was your family on the side of the road, trying to make it somewhere to make a new life. Imagine with me, if you will, what if good old Governor Polis decided to appoint somebody who has infinite power, if you will. I mean, there's, there's no limit. And he's allowed to persecute, or he's allowed to prosecute, or he's allowed to arrest anybody guilty of hate speech, anybody who's not inclusive, Anybody who says somebody else is wrong or takes a stand. Imagine if there was somebody that Polis gave authority to who could take a SWAT team and say, hey, I need you to go to this address. I need you to knock this door down at two in the morning and drag this family to jail. That was Paul. That's exactly what Paul was or Saul was doing. Saul was knocking in doors, kicking in doors, and hauling people off to jail to be tried, to be found guilty for following Christ. That's what these believers were enduring. I understand we live in America. I understand we have rights and we have liberties and we have, we have options. I realize that you can call your representative and I realize you have the right to due process and to bear arms and supposedly we have a freedom of speech and all these different things. But let me ask you this question, and I don't want to get myself in trouble, but let me ask you this. At what point does being a Christian outweigh being an American? I would argue that there may come a day in time in America where your American God-given rights and liberties do not trump taking a stand for Christ. 
And we may come to that point. It may come to that point. And you're and we might have to make a decision. We might have to make a choice. Anyway, these Christians are being scattered because of this persecution. This was no light thing. This was this was a heavy. This was a big thing. Their lives were being turned upside down by Paul and all his little minions. So they left. Let me say this also. When it comes to leaving, I remember as a boy going to church, and I would hear preachers preach about don't leave where God's put you. Don't ever make a decision for a carnal reason. And I don't, I don't, I don't feel like you hear that as much. But listen, God has put you where he's put you for a purpose. He's put you and your family where he's put you for a purpose. Let me challenge you. Don't ever make a life-altering decision for a carnal reason. Job, money, better schools, whatever the reason might be, don't ever make a, re- a, a decision for that. Make God the focus for your decision to move, to uproot, to transplant, to do something different. Make God the purpose. I would challenge you to get your Bible open one day and go read Ruth chapter 1. And there you'll read about a man, a husband, a father who uprooted his family from Bethlehem, took them down to Moab. And guess what happened? He died. His two boys married pagan wives. They both died. And his wife, Naomi, came home bitter, angry. I challenge you, don't make a a life-altering decision for a carnal reason. Always make it a spiritual reason. Find a church. Seek God. Make spiritual decisions, not carnal decisions in that. It's too important. Your family's too important. So here we see this burial of Stephen. We see these believers are scattered. And the last thing I want to look at real quick tonight is the behavior of Saul. The behavior of Saul. Ladies and gentlemen, Saul was a tyrant. He was a religious zealot, an extremist. And you know what? He thought he was serving Jehovah God while he did it. Paul, I believe, thought he was doing God a service. He was doing the right thing. Or Saul. And he couldn't be any more wrong. Notice what happens. Look at chapter 8. I'm sorry, go back to chapter 7, verse 58. (coughs) It says, And cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen, Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. First thing real quick is Saul was a spectator. Saul Saul was there. He watched. He held their coats. He enjoyed the persecution of these Christians. I would almost say he was bloodthirsty for these Christians. But he was a spectator. Not only was he a spectator, but notice chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was consenting. Not only was he a spectator, but he was an approver. This word consenting means to agree or to approve completely. There was no part of Saul that said, oh, hey, guys, maybe we shouldn't do this. Hey, guys, maybe we're doing the wrong thing. Hey, maybe we should rethink it. There was, no, there was not one single ounce of Saul that questioned what he was doing. Saul wholeheartedly believed he was serving God, and he approved 
of everything that he was doing. He was all in. He wasn't partially in. He didn't have a foot in and a foot out. He was all about persecuting this new group, this new sect, this group of people that all of a sudden came out of nowhere, these Christians, these Christ followers. We are going to annihilate them. He was an approver. Not only was he an approver, but he was also a persecutor. Chapter 8, verse 1, and at that time there was a great persecution. I read the definition to this for persecution a minute ago, but it's the infliction of pain. It's punishment. It's death. It's usually unjust. And the reason for it is because you adhere to a religious creed or a mode of worship. So because of what they believed, because of the way they worship, because of who they worship, Paul or Saul made it his life to inflict pain, punishment or death, whether it was deserved, just or not. He was a persecutor. Let's look at a few verses. Take your Bibles. Go over to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22 and look at verse 19. Here we're going to look at Paul's own testimony about Saul. This is what Paul had to say about his past. God here is sending Paul up to Jerusalem. And notice what he says in verse 19. He says, and I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting, approving, agreeing with unto his death and kept the raiment that slew him. That's Paul's words. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go over to 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 9. Here, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Go over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. Or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 13. Galatians 1, 13, notice what he says, For ye have heard of my conversation, that was his lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God, notice this, and wasted it. That means to destroy or to pillage, to wreak havoc. Verse 14, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. Saul was a religious zealot, an extremist. Take your Bibles, go over to Philippians chapter 3. Go to Philippians chapter 3, look at verse number 4. It says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Notice this, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Here, Paul talks about his fleshly carnal credentials in the Jewish religion, and here he says, 
I was above, I, I went beyond everybody. I went above, above and beyond. Take your Bibles, go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 12. First Timothy 1, verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me so that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Verse 13. Who was before? <laughs> it's an awesome word. Before. Before. We'll talk about that in a second. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. That word injurious means to be violent and outrageous. His behavior was outrageous. Injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He was a persecutor. Not only was he a persecutor, but he was also a destroyer. We looked at chapter 8. We looked at chapter 9. Take your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 26. Here, Paul stands before King Agrippa, and he's allowed to answer for himself. And notice what Paul says about Saul in Acts 26, verses 9 through 11. He says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Here, Paul says, as Saul, I testified against Christians and they were put to death. On his word, on his testimony. Verse 11, and I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Now here Paul says, as Saul, I would go into synagogues and I would find these Christ followers and I would force them to blaspheme Jesus. I would back them into a corner. I would put them in a predicament, in a situation, and force them to blaspheme. Notice what he says next. And being exceedingly mad. I should have looked this up. I don't know what this word mad means. I don't know if this is an anger. If he was so enraged against Christ and against Christians that he did what he did, or if it's a reference to his mental state. If, if Saul acted so crazy, he was almost a lunatic about persecuting Christians. I don't know exactly what the significance of that word mad is, but notice this, but being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange Cities. Saul was a destroyer. But you know what? You know what the amazing thing is? Saul doesn't stay Saul. I, 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 don't, I don't know if Saul, or Paul, I mean, was afflicted by his past. I don't know. I know he remembers it because over and over again through the New Testament, he makes reference to it. He's aware of his past. He knows who he was. But there in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, who was before 
a blasphemer. Now listen to me. I don't know your past. And frankly, I don't really care. And you know what? If you're here today, and if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, he doesn't really care either. Your past, yes, it might define some things in your life, and yes, it makes you who you are in some ways, and I get all that, but you know what? Your past doesn't matter. Your past is the past. If we were to go over to Philippians chapter 3 and look at that passage again, when Paul talks about being a persecutor and zealous of the Jewish law, he goes on to say in another verse, forgetting those things which are behind, he says, I press towards Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, your past doesn't mean anything in the mind of Christ. He doesn't care what you did. He, didn't care, he doesn't care what you were. He cares about what you are now. And he cares more about your present and your future. Don't let your past define you and bog you down. Don't let your past tell you that you can't serve God and you can't serve Christ and that you can't move on because you can't. Saul, Paul didn't. Paul didn't. He just chased after Christ all the more. And I challenge you tonight, don't let your past define you. Don't let your past hold you back and, and bog you down. Don't let Satan use it to guilt you and to depress you and to bother you and to keep you from doing what you should do. But press forward. Press on. You're a new creature. All things are new. And serve God. Serve Christ. Give it all to him. Give it all to him. Saul. Saul. Saul was an evil man. He was a spectator, an approver, a persecutor, and he was a destroyer. But once he becomes Paul, he goes on to serve Christ. Man, with such passion. With such passion. Anyway, next time we'll look at Philip, and next time we'll look at uh, Simon the sorcerer. Those are kind of interesting, too. But anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for saving us and changing us. Thank you for redirecting our path. Lord, help us not to get bogged down by our past, but Lord, may we just seek to serve you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for being gracious and merciful in our lives. Lord, give us a good week in Jesus' name. Amen.